Pigs are everywhere in our culture, in cartoons, in language, in cutesy films. We are entranced by them, disgusted by them. We campaign to give them a better life while tucking into a bacon sandwich without too much thought about the origins of the pig that provided it. Why do so many of us feel drawn to pigs? Perhaps because they are like us in many, though by no means all, ways. We are physiologically similar, so much so that humans are designing pigs to be used for organ transplants. They are omnivores, and unlike prey animals, they express themselves fairly clearly. A pig lets you know if it's distressed, while a cow will suffer in silence. They are comical. This may be a derogatory term to some, but there's no denying it. The many, many visitors we take to see the pigs, almost without exception, find them amusing, enchanting and a little unnerving. They do look you in the eye, at the same time as dismantling your footwear. They are curious, inventive and independent. They are unlike us in that they cannot sweat, so they need to wallow in water or mud when the temperature gets above 18 or 20 degrees Celsius. Hence their reputation for dirtiness, I guess. But where the saying, sweat like a pig, comes from, I have no idea. Not from someone who knew anything about them. Their noses are ultra-strong and sensitive, and their sense of smell is so much more acute than ours. Hence their use as truffle hunters. Given the need they have to experience the world through their noses and mouths, it seems an especial crime against pigs to prevent them from this basic requirement by housing them in barren concrete pens or putting rings through their noses. Humans have lived with pigs for thousands of years, notably in Asia. For the vast majority of that time, it has been a symbiotic relationship. We have fed them our waste and protected them from many of the challenges they would face in the wild, while they have provided delicious meat, well suited to preserving with salt for winter fare. Until 80 years ago, most rural households would have had a pig or two, and the autumn slaughtering, while grim from our sanitised perspective today, was a moment of community and celebration. The breeds of pigs we have now and worry about losing are all a result of fairly recent human interference. The origins of many of our breeds are obscure, but most came into being in the 18th and 19th centuries, with many of the breed societies being formed only in the early 20th century. The Essex and Wessex Saddleback Societies started in the 1920s and amalgamated the breeds into one, the British Saddleback, the breed we keep here at Eastbrook, in 1967. Since then, the pig world has changed very fast, with intensive, large-scale indoor units becoming the norm, and the traditional breeds and systems very quickly became rarities. I have been an organic farmer all my life, and pigs have been a big part of my farming career. I have never done what we are about to do now, however, which is to closely observe one particular group throughout their lives, to get to know them more intimately and to record this faithfully.
it feels quite an adventure, possibly an uncomfortable one at times. Like most farmers, I guess I protect myself emotionally with a degree of detachment from seeing the majority of our animals as individuals, though there are always some that stand out from the crowd, whilst also campaigning vigorously for a better life for pigs generally. My rural and farming upbringing has engendered a pragmatic perspective on the cycles of living and dying, and our part in that as farmers. I am aware that this matter-of-factness can be a little daunting for some, as can be our mutual sense of mischief. A degree of gallows humour is a prerequisite for survival at times, and so far, we are survivors. I sense, though, that some huge challenges lie ahead for farmers and rural businesses. This is not the definitive book of the pig. It is the story of a group of pigs on my farm, from birth to death. It is the story of a rural business created to allow us to keep pigs as we feel they should be kept, and some of the twists and turns of that seemingly impossible task. It is an exploration of our relationship with farmed animals, with nature, with each other, with life and death. I write this at a moment of change, with the next generation starting to take the reins on the farm. And change in the wider world too, as the UK prepares to leave the EU, and the security blanket, or straitjacket, for it has been both, that our membership has provided for farmers over the last 40 years. What lies ahead is uncertain. This is a pivotal period, one that future generations will judge us by. There is a very short window of time to avoid the worst of the climate change disaster that we are wreaking on ourselves, and we have already triggered the sixth mass extinction of other species. And it's not as if we are enjoying the fruits of our destruction. We are stressed, overweight, and fearful. For many years I have been a member, and for over a decade the chair, of the Food Ethics Council, a small charity that demands powerful thinking on how we put values centre stage in the food system. The fundamental question they ask, a question that I have asked myself repeatedly in my work as a farmer, is what should we do, all things considered? I hope my book can be a useful contribution to this eternal question.